0: If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. If you don't know where that is, just start at the very beginning and you will get there. So Genesis 1. Last week we began a new series on the names of God that's going to have us walking through so many different revealed names of God throughout Scripture. But last week we focused on the petition of the model prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name meaning that we are to pray that god would cause his name to be treated as holy or to be consecrated in our lives in our homes in our church and in the world and this morning we are going to begin to dive into the names of god that are revealed in scripture and as i said last week no single name there's not one name by itself can describe all that god is so, in fact, God uses each and every one of his names revealed in Scripture to reveal a different part of his character to us while reminding us how vast and how measureless he is. So, And God is, is so amazing that he, as we saw last week, he has a name for every need that we will ever walk through. Therefore, knowing God by these names will strengthen us and encourage us in the midst of the circumstances that he calls us to walk in. And one of the things we saw last week, according to Psalm 910, that those who know God's name or names will put their trust in him. And that is the point of this series, that we will have more and more trust in who all that God is. And I'm sure that most of you will agree with me that names are important. So names are important. There's a reason that we don't name our children Jezebel, Judas, Hitler. There's there's just a reason why we don't do that. But names are also useful because they allow us to remember the different people, different places, um, and things that we encounter each and every day. So names are also significant because they give us a starting point for understanding or for even interacting with the world around us. So for example... If I were to mention this, the city of Philadelphia, most of you would remember and know that the city of Philadelphia means the city of, so the city of brotherly love. Now, some of you might know if I were to mention the name Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is the city of, so it's the city of David, but it's the city of peace. So Salem meaning peace, it's the city of peace. So even something as large as or diverse as a city can be connected to a simple idea through the meaning of a name, even though those two cities have often fallen well short of their names, right? They have fallen well short of being a city of love or even a city of peace but it's a reminder to reveal to us how far those cities have moved away from the original intentions of what the founders wanted them to be so names as we know it carry weight names carry meaning but the point of this series i want you to understand this the point of this series is not just for us to know the names of god as important as those names are the point of this series is for us to know god we want to know god Our goal is to increase in our knowledge of God and our experiences with him. And the reality is that the names of God are only significant because they're connected to God. They're connected to him. So the first name that we come to in our study of the names of God is the name, as you see on your screen, Elohim. It's the first name given to God in Scripture. So God identifies himself. In Genesis 1, 1, all the way to Genesis 2, 3, by the name Elohim, it's it's given 35 times from Genesis 1, 1 to Genesis 2, 3. And so Genesis 1 is basically God's way, 1, 1, is God's way of introducing himself. So Genesis 1, 1 begins by God basically saying, hello, my name is Elohim. I am the strong and mighty creator of all. Yet before we dive into the word this morning, I want to lay before you some words of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who identified kind of what the problem is of many churches and many individuals in our world. He says this, the Bible is God's book. It is a revelation of God or Elohim, and our thinking must always start with God much of the trouble in the church today is due to the fact that we are so interested in ourselves so egocentric we don't start with god and brothers and sisters that didn't get an amen but that has never been more true the problem with the church is the church is filled up with selfish people who only think about themselves what does this have to do with me how does it relate to me how are my needs being met how am i feeling when i leave a service. If I'm not feeling good and that church didn't do its job that week, the problem is the starting point in all of Scripture and the starting point really of our lives isn't us, it's Him. Amen. It is found in Him. So this morning we are literally starting with God, starting from the beginning as God Elohim reveals Himself to us. So I'm gonna ask if you're able If you can stand as we honor God's word, what we're going to read is we're going to read Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and then 26 and 27 together. And then jump into the beautiful, powerful meaning of this name. So beginning of verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them let's pray father we come before you now before your word and God we are humbled by your word and we are humbled by you Elohim the one who has created us but also Lord the one who sustains us the one who holds us even now so today God I pray father that we would maybe in a fresh way come to know you and see you as our creator but not just stop there, Lord. That you're not just our creator. You're the one who sustains us even now. You're holding us even now. Lord, may that be celebrated today. May we just lean on you even more and more. Just speak, oh God, for we are listening. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So if I were to ask you this morning what the most powerful four-word phrase in the Bible is, and if I were to give you a few minutes to think about it, there would probably be some really good answers. Some of you might say, I am the way, or I am the truth, I am the life, all pictures of Jesus revealing himself as God. Someone might say, thou shalt not kill Now, I don't know what would lead you to say that. Maybe you've had a difficult week and there are difficult people in your life. But maybe, just maybe, that was the first thought. Thou shalt not kill. Maybe you would say, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious or do not be afraid. There are many four-word phrases with deep significance. But I believe that the first four words of the Bible are the most important. In the beginning, God because they lay the foundation for everything that the Bible is about, which is God. So if this is a story about God, and it says that it is, it only makes sense that he is introduced from the very beginning. So the Bible opens, yet simply yet dramatically, as we're introduced to the greatest reality to ever exist, and that reality is God. And we are introduced to a God who is simply there as the eternal one. He is not dependent on anyone or anything else for his existence. So while everything that exists owes its existence to God alone, God alone owes his existence to no one. God is. So as I said last week, God exists necessarily. So we aren't necessary, but God is necessary. So while Elohim is not the most used word for God in the Bible, that is Yahweh, and we'll look at that in just a second. The word Elohim, it it occurs 2,600 times in the Bible, but hear this, and I'm not going to try to muddy the waters. I'm going to explain this in just a second. So Elohim appears over 2,600 times in the Bible, and over 2,200 of those it's referring to God the creator. I'll explain that more in a second. But Genesis 1 describes creation out of nothing. So only a powerful God can create out of nothing. It requires power and it is Elohim who speaks the world into existence. He brings cosmos out of chaos. He brings light out of darkness. He brings habitation out of desolation and he creates us in his very image. It is Elohim who fashions man from the dust of the ground. It is Elohim who breathes into man the breath of life. It is Elohim who will be faithful to his creation, meaning God doesn't just create and then walk away from his creation. No, God creates and he remains near. He remains near to us. He is not disinterested. He is not hiding in some far galaxy Far, far away, no, our God, although he is transcendent, he is above all, yet he is near. He is near to us. He is near to those who seek him. So I want to lay before us this morning three truths related to the revelation of Elohim and what it means to us. First of all, number one, Elohim is a powerful God. And let, let me remind you, most of these truths today are going to be very like, duh, I got that. But let's dig in and go a little deeper. Elohim is a powerful God. Look back at verses 1 and 2 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there was nothing. Just imagine that for a moment. And here's what I found. what I find very funny. When I say, I want you to imagine nothing, do you know that it's impossible for us to imagine nothing? When I say imagine nothing, you will say, well, black. Well, black isn't nothing, it's a color. Or space, well, space isn't nothing, it's something. And here's the beautiful thing, God created everything out of what we can't even think about. We can't even think about nothing, and yet God created everything out of nothing. It is beautiful, and it's amazing, and it is powerful. Let that reality sit in your mind for a second. Then we get to Genesis 1-2, and we have formless, deadness, emptiness, lifelessness. That was a state before God continued. Then for the first time in all of history, God spoke, and with the exercise of only His voice, God called forth light out of nothing, and light appeared. God literally commanded the universe into existence. I I was reading this week, I love the words of David in Psalm 8, 3 through 4. David was thinking about creation. And David says this in Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or man that you care for him? So when David looked up, David was in awe of God's creation and what strikes me the the most about what david is saying is that phrase that he uses where david says that the creation is the work of god's fingers so even though god is spirit david is attaching human attributes to god so that we can better understand him and so when david writes about god creating all of this what david basically says is god is as is, is if you just used your fingers When you and I pick up something, normally we use our full grip and our full hand to do it. But if I were to tell you that I picked up something using just my fingers, you would immediately say, well, that thing must be very small or very light. You might even say that if I say I picked it up with my both hands. But anyway, when we say fingers, we mean, listen, it's light or it is small. So when David tells us that God created all this beauty that we see around us, even that which we can't see, what David says is, It's as if God just used his fingers, meaning God didn't need his hands, he didn't need his arms, he didn't need his shoulders, none of that. Meaning that this grand, amazing creation that we see was just a finger painting of God. And yet God's great finger painting is the greatest work of all. It's the beauty of what he is saying. yet back to Genesis 1. Creation was brought forth with a word from God eight different times. In Genesis 1, we hear the words or we read the words God said when speaking of creation. And God created out of nothing everything that is not God. So the first sound uttered in the universe was the sound of God saying, Let there be. Out of the invisible then came the visible. Out of nothing came Everything. And let me remind us that Genesis 1 does not begin with the beginning of all things. Genesis 1 does not begin with the beginning of God because God has no beginning. No, Genesis 1 begins with the beginning of us. The beginning of the world in which we know it. Again, not with the very beginning, the absolute beginning because God has done. Let me put it this way. Before the world was formed, God was before the sun, moon, and stars lit up the sky, God was. Before the first flower bloomed, God was. Before the first fruit grew on a tree, God was. Before the first wing of an eagle flapped or before the first gill of a fish opened, God was. Before the first golden sunset, before the first drop of water, before the first gust of wind, God was. Before Adam experienced breath in his lungs, taste on his tongue, sound in his ears, before Adam laid eyes on the beauty of his wife Eve, before they ever walked, talked, laughed, and even loved, God was. Before the first anything, before everything, God was. And because God was, everything is. Everything is. And before we move on, let me just say this. The term created is only used in the Bible to speak about God. It never is used to speak about man, even though we were created beings. What I mean by that is this. We as man, we can reconfigure things. We can recalibrate things. We can reform things. We can even take things that are already in existence and make them into something else. But what we can't do is we can't create something out of nothing. We can't do that. We lack the power, we lack the ingenuity, we lack the ability to do that, but God has and he can. Oh, how he can. And that is such good news because I'm going to use this a little later on. There will be times in our lives, brothers and sisters, where we feel like we have nothing to give, nothing to give, and yet God can take that nothing and he can still do something with it it's the beauty of who he is elohim is a powerful god but then secondly elohim is a personal god he is a personal god look again on verses 26 and 27 you'll see it on the screen then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them And I love it because in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 gives us this amazing overview of creation. And then we come to Genesis 2, and Genesis 2 gives us a zoomed-in version of the creation of of man. Some have said that chapter 1 is the artistic rendering and that Genesis 2 is the essay. However you want to look at it, I love the words of Genesis 2-7 because it tells us something that Genesis 1 doesn't tell us. In Genesis 2-7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life and man became a living creature. So what it tells us is that God didn't just speak man into creation, even though he could have. Instead, God puts his hands in the dirt and formed, shaped, knitted man together. And if that weren't intimate enough, then Elohim lowered his head to the ground and met Adam face to face, and breathe into Adam the breath of life. Imagine Adam's lungs inflating for the very first time with the breath of God being breathed into him. Just think about the beauty of creation, the intimacy of God's creation, and then just think about what God created. Think about the beauty and the majesty of what God created in creating us. The human body is incredibly engineered, governed by several hundred systems of control, each interacting and each affecting the other. Let me give you a few examples. For example, the brain has 10 billion nerve cells to record what we see and what we hear. Our skin has more than 2 million tiny sweat glands, about 3,000 per square inch, all part of an intricate system given to us by God that keeps our body at an even temperature. God has put a pump in our chest known as the heart that makes our blood travel, hear this, 168 million miles per day around and throughout our body, equivalent to going around the world 6,725 times. The lining of our stomach contains 35 million glands secreting juices, which aid the process of digestion. And these are just a few of the processes involved in the chemical wonders involved in God making us, by which David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. God has built within our bodies the ability to sustain life. There is nothing like man or man or woman in all of creation, made in the very image of God. Yet, let me say this, the most wonderful fact of our creation is that our creator and our designer desires a relationship with us. He desires a relationship with each one of us. The Bible reveals that of all the creatures of God, only humanity are created in the expressed image of God, meaning we are the imago Dei. We are image bearers. We are made in his image. Yet, what does it mean? What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? Does it mean that God has two arms, two legs, and a a nice big flowing beard as depicted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? I always find it funny that Michelangelo even painted God with a belly button. That's weird on so many different levels. don't even know where to start with that. But let me just say this. Being made in the image of God means that like God, We can think and we can reason as, hear this, eternal beings. Yes, we have a beginning, but because God breathed in us the breath of life, we will have no end. We will live somewhere forever and ever and ever. We are able to appreciate beauty. Unlike animals, we have a sense of morality. We are able to think about deep things, grasp deep concepts. And this gives us the ability to communicate and to have a relationship with God. And that's the real reason God made us in his image. It's because God desires a relationship with us all. The God who made us knows us. And the God who knows us loves us. And that God who knows us and loves us wants us. Wants us. What a personal God. And thinking about that phrase god knows us i found words of pastor david jeremiah and he put it this way and these are so powerful he says our god knows what we are going through he knows every minute of our pain and suffering he not only knows what we feel he knows why we feel what we feel he knows how it happened he knows how long it's going to last and how intense it is he knows every emotion associated with it and when we are going through difficult times There will be times that all we can say is, God, you know. God, you know. And the beauty is, he does. He does. There are times in our lives, brothers and sisters, the pain is so deep. It's so real that all we can say is, God, you know. And God says, yes, I know. I know, and I love you, and I'm with you. Elohim is a personal God. Which then leads us to number three, Elohim is a plural God. Elohim is a plural God. And we're about to get into some deep waters, but just finish strong with me. But before we dive into the plurality of God, I also want to point out that the word Elohim is called the generic name of God as well. So the generic name of God, and what I mean by that is this. 2,200 times in the Bible, the word Elohim is used to, to speak of God our Creator. As seen in Genesis one, all the way to Genesis two, 3, 35 times, Elohim is God, our Creator. Now, also throughout Scripture, it is used to speak of angelic beings or heavenly beings at times. In in Psalm eight, it speaks of the heavenly beings, angels, as being the Elohim. Used in a, it would be a lowercase God's, and then there are times, especially like in. The Ten Commandments, where God says, you will have no other gods before me. Well, that word is literally Elohim. You have no other Elohims before me. So it can be the generic name of God. And here's the deal. The problem with generic things is they are often seen as being cheaper and not as good as the real thing. Therefore, oh, how we are prone to take the name of God. And we are prone to cheapen it. We are prone to create something that has no power we're prone to create something that cannot save us oh how we are prone just to use the name of God but we have disconnected the name from who he is we've disconnected oftentimes the name of God for who he has revealed himself in the very word of God we've got to be careful brothers and sisters I'm going to ask that question again but have you found yourself serving a generic God have you found yourself serving a God who never stands against you? Have you found a God that your opinion always, or his opinion always lines up with your opinion? Like God has never, you, you and God have never been at odds because you've never been wrong in the eyes of God. If that's so, let me tell you, you are not serving the God of this book. You are serving a God you have created. Amen. But that God has no power and that God can't save you. Now before we, we move on, I want to take you through a quick journey a quick journey through Genesis 2 and 3. Go ahead and open to Genesis 2 and 3. And what I want to encourage you to do is every time that I'm going to walk you through a verse in Genesis 2 or 3, when you see the name of God, if if you are okay with this, this isn't against your beliefs, I want you to mark that either even in your Bible or in your minds to mark it. And so Genesis 2 and 3, every time you see a name speaking of God's relationship with man, circle it and You'll see where we're going once we get to Genesis 3, but just trust me until we get there. So beginning at chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. These are the generation of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, so there you go, mark that, Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God, there it is again, had not caused it to rain on the land. Now verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Now verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man concerning the trees. Then verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed. In verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and then verse 22 and the rib that the Lord God had taken and we know that he made Eve so 10 times in chapter 2 we see the names the two names put together the Lord God and those two those two names are combining the names Yahweh and Elohim. So Yahweh is the most common name for God in the Bible. Yahweh occurs 6,500 times in the Old Testament. And Yahweh declares that there is a God who is in relationship with his people. So Yahweh is a God who is caring, who is kind, who is good and loving to his creation. Yahweh is the covenant name of a God who enters into a relationship with his people. Then we have Elohim. And Elohim, of course, is the name of the creator, the strong one. So what you have is you have the goodness of God in Yahweh, the relational power of God in Yahweh, and then you have the strength and might and power of God in Elohim. And so both of those are put together. You have his goodness and his power. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God, there it is, again, had made. But here's where it changes. The second the serpent opens his mouth, hear it. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and all of a sudden satan through the serpent takes one part of the title of god off and he begins to use the word elohim alone then in verse 5 he says for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil So one time in verse 1 and twice in verse 5, the serpent refers to God, not as the Lord God, but as just Elohim. And why? Because Satan cannot call God Lord. Satan refuses, refuses to submit himself to the Lordship of God. But then here's what happens. In verse 3, look back at verse 3 of chapter 3. Eve says, but God said. Don't miss this. See how Satan wanted to isolate and to lower the name of Elohim. And Eve bought into it. And brothers and sisters, let me say this. How often this happens today, where people can talk about God all day long in a very generic sense, I may add. Because the idea of an impersonal God that exists out there somewhere is no threat To us at all or the idea of a god that we have created that would never offend us or never would disagree with us doesn't offend us at all or if we attribute the god out there having all power power the reality is we view him as being so far away so unattached so disassociated from what he created and he's no personal god at all And brothers and sisters, what I mean by that is this. We must see God as our creator. We must see him as our sustainer. We must not settle for just one part of who God is. Don't settle for just one part of who he is. And here's the question for us again. Has God become a generic, watered-down reality in your life? Has God just become a generic? I hear people all the time say, and especially when it comes to to young teenagers, you hear them say, oh, I'm, I'm dating so-and-so, and I'm many times I say, well, are they a Christian? Oh, they believe in God. Satan believes in God. Amen. Like, th- that tells me nothing. Amen. Demons believe in God, but let me tell you something, if my daughters bring home a demon, I'm casting it out. Hey. If, it won't stay in my house very long. It's not going to happen. Brothers and sisters, it's more than just believing in a God. It's No, have you bowed your knee to him? Have you trusted him as Savior and Lord? That is the question. That is the one thing, reality, that Satan himself would not do. Oh, today that we would desire him and all that he is. Now, quickly, back to the point of plurality. So I totally got off and back on. So Elohim is literally the plural name of the word El. So all throughout scripture, and we'll see it next week, El Elyon, which means the most high God, the singular picture of God. But Elohim is a plural name. It's a plural name that refers to a single Godhead. And don't want to get too deep on us this morning, but God is a plural God, yet he exists as one God. We see this all throughout scripture in genesis 126 for the first time in the bible god introduces himself in personal pronouns but those personal pronouns are plural meaning god doesn't say let me make man in my image god says let us make man in our image and thus we are introduced to a plurality of god in relationship meaning don't want to take this any further than it needs to be taken here for the first time we have unmistakable evidence of the Trinity, that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, turn back to Genesis 1, and if you look closely in Genesis 1, you will see all three persons of the Trinity in the first three verses of, of Genesis 1. So be, Genesis 1, beginning at verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was, we're told in, in Verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said. And you might say right now, well, I see God and I see the Spirit, but I don't see Jesus there. Turn with me real quick to John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1 in your Bibles. I want to show you something that I pray will stick with you. And when you read those first three verses of Genesis from now on, this will come to mind. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. When you get there, let me hear you say. So verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So you might be saying, well, I still don't see Jesus in Genesis 1. Look at Genesis 1, 3. For it says, and God said, meaning there was a word from God. And John 1 tells us that Jesus is that word. He is that word. Jesus was and he is the word of God. So what this means for us is that in God's very essence, from the very beginning, God has existed in triune relationship, in perfect unity and harmony as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, and please hear this because we need to hear this today. Therefore, God did not create us because God was lonely. God did not create us to fill some void in His life. You know, so many times we get the impression that God made us and God looked at us and said, You complete me you complete me no there was no void in God whatsoever so God didn't make us because he was lonely God didn't make us to fill some void in him so the question is if God didn't make us because he was lonely or to fill a void then why did he make us I'm glad you asked the question God created us out of the overflow of who he is and out of the overflow of his love Therefore, when we read Genesis 1, God's love spills out onto the canvas of the universe, and God invites us into his love. It's a picture of an overflow of who God is that led him to create us and invites us into experiencing the love that he has. And listen, I honestly don't know the best way to end our time together today, but I do want to refocus our hearts and our minds on the power and the personal nature of Elohim, meaning this, that no matter what situation you are facing today in your life, I want to to encourage you to remember the name Elohim. Remember that name. The strong one does not need raw material in order to work. He doesn't need logic, he doesn't need tangible solutions, and he doesn't need your advice in order to accomplish his goals. All God needs is himself, and all we need is to trust him more and more. That he will fulfill his promises, that he will fulfill his purposes, and that he can still create something out of nothing. Like I said, that means that when you and I are at our lowest and we feel like we have nothing to offer God, bring him your nothing and he can create something out of your nothing. He can create something beautiful out of our nothings. It's the beauty of who he is and what he is able to do. May we never forget that Elohim, the strong creator, can change our situation or he can change us in the midst of our situation. Sometimes God will say, I'm not going to change the situation, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you in the midst of the situation. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Rely on Him. Listen to Him. Seek Him. Sometimes God requires something that we don't like to do. Sometimes God requires that we take the blueprint of our lives that we have laid out and all the plans and things that we have come up with and God says to us, take your blueprints and burn them. And we go, but God, I have some pretty good plans on here. And God laughs. He laughs at our plans because his plans are so much better. And God asks us to burn those plans and trust his. Or as Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Let me end by saying this. The God who made us will hold us, and he will hold us till the end. I want to show one more verse to you. It's on the screen. It's Colossians 1. And just to be honest, this verse is speaking about Jesus. But because Jesus is part of the Godhead, part of the Elohim, part of creation, this speaks of who God is. And listen to what it says. Colossians 1:16 and 17. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth earth all things were created through him and for him we talked about that last week God created even for his glory and then it says this he is before all things meaning God was and then in him all things hold together and I don't know if you get the reality of that brothers and sisters and the beauty of that but here's what that means to me there are times in my life where I look at the circumstances I'm facing I'm looking at looking at so many things that are upon me And I don't know how I'm taking the next step. I don't know how I'm functioning. I don't know how things haven't just completely unraveled. And then I read Colossians 1.17 and it tells me things haven't unraveled because he is holding me together. He is holding me together. He is keeping me from unraveling. He is keeping me from completely falling apart. Brothers and sisters, there is a reason that you haven't fallen apart this week. And it's not because you're strong and you're mighty and you're able. It's because he's strong and he's mighty and he's able. Oh, trust the one who is holding you and will hold you together and he will hold you to the end. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? He is holding us together. That's what it means that he is our strong creator. He is our sustainer and he will hold us to the end. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. I'm going to ask the musicians, Brother Frank, to come forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration. Let us pray together. Father, we come before you in this moment, and we rejoice in you, O God, that you are Elohim, that you are the strong creator. Lord, you are the creating one, creating out of nothing all that we see. But not only, God, do you create, you sustain. You are personally involved in your creation. You are not a far-off deity. You are near. And help us to rejoice today, God, in your nearness. To rejoice today even in your presence, by which your word says, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You will never turn away a humble seeker, an honest seeker, Lord. You'll never turn them away. So I pray for anyone in this room today who doesn't know you, that today would be a day of salvation. Not just saying they believe in God because even the demons do that but believing Jesus who you are and what you have done as the only savior of sinners in the world and they would call upon your name and be saved Lord I pray for other Christians in this room today that you would encourage us that we're not alone Lord it doesn't mean that you've promised to bless all of our plans but God you have promised to bless yours that's right, that's right. and Lord we pray that we would give ourselves to your plan to your purpose and God you will hold us to the very end Thank you for keeping me, Lord, at times from unraveling. Thank you for holding me together when I can't hold anything. Thank you, God, that you're still able to take my nothing and you're able to make something. And not just something, but something beautiful that gives you glory. Do that in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.